Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back to the 104th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Today, we're going to talk about how girls can live the confident code. In 1994, a survey conducted by the American Association of University Women polled 3,000 boys and girls between the ages of 9 and 15 years regarding their attitudes towards self, school, family, and friends. Results confirmed that the passage into adolescence is marked by a girl's loss of confidence in herself and her abilities. The American Association of University Women discovered that the most dramatic gender gap in self-esteem is in the area of competence. Unfortunately, this still exists today. Between ages 8 and 14, girls' confidence levels drop by 30%. Half of teen girls feel the pressure to be perfect. Girls are 22% less likely than boys to describe themselves as confident. Nearly 8 in 10 girls want to feel more confident in themselves. Today, I'm so pleased to have Caddy Kay and Claire Shipman on the show. They are passionate about girls finding their confidence. Their book, Living the Confidence Code, Real Girls, Real Stories, Real Equals Confidence, was just released. Caddy Kay is the anchor of BBC World News America based in Washington, D.C., she is also a frequent contributor to Meet the Press and Morning Joe. In addition to her work on women's issues, Kay has covered the Clinton administration sex scandal and four presidential elections. Kay juggles her journalism with raising four children with her husband, a consultant. Claire Shipman is a journalist, author, and public speaker. Before turning to writing, Claire spent almost three decades as an award-winning television journalist. For the last 14 years, Claire was a regular contributor to Good Morning America and other national broadcasts for ABC News. Before that, she served as White House correspondent for NBC News, where she regularly reported on presidential policy and politics for NBC Nightly News and Today. She lives in Washington, D.C. with her family. Well, I am so excited, Caddy and Claire, that you're here today, and I know this is going to be an amazing conversation that the moms are going to absolutely love. Can y'all tell me the ages of your kids? I know you both have families. We both have families. I have two children. This is Claire. You'll know us because Caddy will have the British accent. <laughs> it's a giveaway. I'm not from Texas, you may have noticed. <laughs> I have a 13-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old son, Della and Hugo. And I have uh, two boys and two girls. My oldest son, Felix, is 26. And actually, he's been helping us with the launch of this book on our website. And my daughter, Maya, is 24, and she is studying at the University of Chicago. Um, she's doing uh, a PhD up there. And then I have a... Uh, 20-year-old son, Jude, and a 15-year-old daughter, Poppy, and a dog. 
called Charlie, who may interrupt this podcast, who is like a child, but actually loves me more than my children do. So you have daughters uh, the the same age? We do. do. Ah, that's fun. I uh, love your book that just came out, uh, Living the Confidence Code. So I'll tell you last week, whenever you're listening to this, but during the Texas winter storm, um, and we had no power. I sat in my bed with 500 blankets on top of me <laughs> and a wool cap and a flashlight and read the book. And it just brought me such great joy. So can you tell me why y'all wrote the book and some of the backstory of it? Well, first, thank you so much for having us. We're, we're thrilled to be here. And I'm glad it brought you joy and warmth in the middle of the <laughs> horrible darkness down there. Um, we, we came to girls really through our work in, in women. And when we worked on women and confidence a number of years ago and wrote a book called The Confidence Code for Women, we got really excited, interested, dismayed. All you know, Just we nerded out on the science part of it and sort of what... What is the science of confidence? Do women have less than men? What's going on? Why do we, you know, all this stuff. And we really got to a point where we realized this, all evidence pointed to a confidence drop in adolescence for girls. And so after that book came out, we really did a lot more research and we found that there is a significant drop in confidence for girls at puberty. Um, And there had been research on this before we did our own, but we found a 30% drop between the ages of eight and 14, which was really stunning. And I guess we just got really excited about the idea of, uh, of girding girls against that, right? What could we do to prepare parents and girls for this? And really what we've found is the antidote, which is creating a habit of risk-taking and failure in our girls. Mm. That's wonderful. Yeah. And part of the reason we wanted to do this book, which again, Colleen, I'm glad that you found a bit of joy in it. And I think perhaps that's part of the reason in this dark time, it is nice to have some good news stories, right? And that I think yes. everybody is enjoying that. And these girls are su- super inspiring and it is, a you know, it's full of good news, this book. But the reason for doing this book, which is a collection of stories of real girls from around the world, 30 real girls from around the world, um, was that we realized that girls learn very well through stories. We all learn through stories. Uh, Good journalism is good stories after all. But also that girls learn really well from other girls. And we know this from our own daughters that Claire and I can tell them things until we're blue in the face, but we are never going to have as much impact on them in some ways as their own peers and that, you know, it's their friends and other girls who have an impact on them. So we really felt that if we could bring these stories to other girls, they would be able to learn things from what other girls are doing. Um, And just to hear these girls' struggles in their own voices, I think is very powerful for, for girls to read. Yes. So I am so curious about... Uh, you have girls from all over the world. How in the heck did you come up with these 30 girls? Well, it was both It was both not easy and then, of course, there was an abundance of girls, right? It was both. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Originally, our publisher said, why don't you come up with 50 girls? And we thought as journalists, we just thought, that's a real, that's not, not as easy as one would think. Um, and especially because we wanted to, 
I, I, you know, there are a couple common threads here. Well, I mean, we, we wanted to have a diversity of girls. We wanted a geographical diversity. We wanted it to be international. We wanted racial and ethnic diversity. We wanted gender identity diversity. And we also wanted a diversity of interests and passions and projects. And, and so that made it challenging. But what was really surprising is there's just a plethora of girls doing incredible things. So in fact, we could have five volumes of this mm. book, right? But we, I think the thing that really helped us narrow the girls, and it wasn't really sort of who's the best, it was which girls are going to really tell us a, a, a story of a journey of struggle and perseverance with and happily talk to us about fears and failure and tips and all this sort of gritty stuff that because we've had a lot of psychologists explain to us that you know the perfect girls role who are role models or perfect women just don't do a service to girls trying to learn that when girls are trying to connect they need to have connection points along the way of a story that feels real and authentic and often mm -hmm. with some hardship right <laughs> that they can say mm -hmm. oh I, maybe i'm not gonna be a star soccer player but i have felt that way before Right. So get drawn in. And so that was the real metric for us. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Caddy? Yeah. I mean, uh, the other thing is that some of the girls have become quite well known for some of the things they have done. Malada and Isabel in Indonesia, their story has been written about and been picked up a little bit. Um, but, and the Afghan robotics team, um, although, we, you know, we did speak to them, but they have also had some amount of uh, publicity around what they are doing, the girls in that robotics team. But some of them aren't known at all. And we wanted that mix too. And we also wanted a mix of girls who are campaigning to change our world, uh, like Malada and Isabel in Indonesia, who launched the campaign to clear the beaches of plastic in Bali in their native island. Um, but we also wanted girls who had just had had challenges that were small and private and personal. Uh, and that weren't doing big, because I think if we show our girls only kind of superhero type girls, we're not doing our girls a service, right? If we, in fact, the piece we wrote for the New York Times speaks about this. If you give girls role models that are perfect, you're actually, uh, it's counterproductive. You need to, as Claire is sharing, you need to have girls who are prepared to talk about uh, how they struggled, how they felt about those struggles, uh, how intimidating some of this was when they failed. And we certainly have girls in the books who launched ventures and it didn't work out, uh, but they kept going. And I think we wanted that mixture of big, you know, people doing big things, but girls who are also doing small things. And that, they're not, that doesn't mean that the challenges are small. The challenges are just as big, but they're not big public campaign type things. Yeah, that's absolutely what I got out of reading it. It was... Um, very real, very authentic, very relatable. You like my heart went out to some of these girls. Yeah. And some of them have really struggled. Yeah. Yeah. What age do you think this book would be good for? Well, it's interesting, Colleen, because we this is really aimed at middle grade readers, right? Sort of an eight to twelve. Because we we did want us to focus on that drop time, right? So we're really mm -hmm. But what we found is older teenagers love it. Women, a number of women have said to us, I, I'm inspired by this. And now I feel like this next generation has us, you know, they have our back. And I think there's something, we found this with our 
other book for girls too. There's something universal for girls and women about friendship struggles, homework struggles, all that stuff. We can still read that and think, oh, that sounds like my struggle at work today, right? I know what that's like. And so I think there's just a common language that after a certain age, we all feel. And I think, um, you know, there's the publisher's age that they would aim this for, but I think it's more universal than that. We've also been really gratified by how much dads have responded to our work with girls. Uh, and one of the things that the big survey that Claire and I commissioned when we brought out the Confidence Code for Girls, the original book a couple of years ago, we did a big survey. One of the things it showed is that dads are actually better at spotting this confidence drop in their daughters than mothers are. Wow. Uh, and maybe it's because mothers see their daughters going through a a phase of becoming kind of people pleasing and rather perfectionist and one not wanting to take risks anymore. And they kind of relate to it. Right. So we think it's normal because we did it. Or that's what our girls are going to go through. Whereas dads look at their daughters and they see these girls who are sort of feisty and bold up until about the age of nine with the onset of puberty. And then suddenly their confidence often starts disappearing. And I think the dads are thinking like, what's going on with my daughter? And this makes no sense to the yeah. fathers. So it's been really fun. to, And a lot of the, the talks that we have done around this book, dads are just compelled by these stories too. And we, we yeah. love that. I feel that in my own household. I mean, this the work has really helped me understand what I'm seeing in Della. And that it's, while originally I thought, there's something a little odd about my son that he doesn't want to be uber perfectionistic and worry all the time about X, Y, and Z, right? Because that was me. And until I really understood, oh, well, that's, I don't even have to be that way. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. I, that actually, and now we love it. Our sons are like, oh yeah, I did great in that test that they get a C in. And we're like, wow, that's so cool. You that. Right. My daughter doing the, being the way I was, <laughs> no longer think, oh, how familiar, great. She's just learning to be, I'm, now I'm sort of like, uh-oh, right? What can I do? And it is harder, I think, as Caddy said, I mean, it certainly is apparent for me, it's harder for me to back away from that, right? Because my instinct is to support that kind of cycle of worry and, yeah, well, yeah, let's try to get it, you know, whereas I think her dad can come in and say, enough you don't have to you know just go to bed stop and it that's more natural for him yeah I find it's really helped as well actually I think it's helped Tom my husband um with our teenager too I mean I think he is now so much more aware like um, just the other day um Poppy who's now 15 uh failed a history test she she doesn't fail tests often so this I mean actually I don't think she ever has so it was really an anomaly but she went through that cycle that teenage girls go through from I failed my history test to I'm never going to graduate from high school. I'm never going to get into college. I'm going to end up living under a bridge and have no <laughs> friends and no job. And it took her about 20 seconds to get there. Right. I mean, we know the pattern of what yes, teenage girls yes. can go through. And she was just devastated. I mean, it wasn't just one history test. This history test became the rest of her life. And mm -hmm. I think for Tom, having you know read our work on confidence, I actually happened to be away at that time, and it really helped him de-escalate the situation. I mean, he called in her older brother, who had failed multiple tests during the, and is now in college studying to be an architect. And Jude was like, "Oh yeah," I, and she, and I think this, I think that really helped. So it gave him tools as well to think: How do I get Poppy back from? what psychologists would call catastrophizing. How do I break that down and bring her back and realize, make her realize it's one test. 
you know, it's just not going to change your life that much. Oh, that's so good. I'm loving that. Yes. Go ahead. Um, okay. So you talk about in your book, you have these confidence building blocks and the confidence quicksand, which I love how y'all did that. I'm so glad. Um, yeah, because it was, it was integrated in their story and then you just kind of changed the ink to a different color. And so it really helped that pop out. So can y'all talk about those two different things and how you came up with them? I also just want to give some credit to our co-author, Jill Ellen Riley, helped us with these two books for teens and tweens, and that's her area of expertise, but she is so creative and spent a lot of time thinking about how do we pull this out, right? With, without being dogmatic and annoying, right? Because we're trying, I don't want to annoy the girls. Um, but we just, I'm sorry, I got so excited. I, I, <laughs> we wanted us to talk about why we did that. Yeah, we, we could do, let's, we could talk about a couple of them. I mean, like, a, you know, okay. Great. one of the confidence building blocks that I think comes up quite often in the book is the notion of failing and struggle. Mm-hmm. And that actually turning a failure onto its head. So, you know, the story of Anahi Milano, who mm-hmm. sets up a thrift shop in her high school to have a kind of trade of clothes because it's an, an underserved area. And she realizes that people, you know, are needing that. And she launches it and it's a disaster initially. And how do you then turn that into something that you can learn from and power through, right? I mean, we're going to have failures. It's a really annoying part of being human. We fail. Your mom has failed. Your best friend has failed. Your dad has failed. Your teacher has failed. Everybody's failed. You right. will fail. And so we try, and that's where, so in her story, when we, she says, you know, I felt like nobody was taking my project seriously, that they all thought it was a big joke. It really hit my confidence. We turn that into a confidence building block. And that failure is one of the things, the tools that you can use to actually build your confidence. I, I liked, um, you know, sometimes the girls in their own voices, again, when we talked about why we pick them, you know, Sam Gordon is really the, the, the girl who started her own football league and playing tackle football, which I love. Yes. Um, but had a moment where she didn't get onto the higher level teams, even though she should have been there. And her father was helping her with this. And she, she says, instead of quitting or getting ridiculously upset, of course, I was upset. I decided I was going to prove those coaches wrong. And so we pulled that out and talked about rebounding so that it's just a, a pathway. Or, or often we pull out something we call the confidence quicksand, right? which is the trap of perfectionism. And mm-hmm. Jess, who's the dedicated vegan just talks about how she gets so frustrated waiting, waiting for things to happen and frustrated when they don't happen. And she had a failure on a, a campaign that didn't work and just talked about just being so sort of bummed out that it almost shut her down. And so we, it, I, it just, we think these things are more relatable to girls mm-hmm. when, they're, when we point them out in that way and highlight them. And they, are, they, they help me too, honestly. Well, yes, especially like the overthinking mm. as the quicksand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's kind of a universal thing. That's something we found in our research that does start at puberty and, and, and really for girls, right? That's when it's yes. and it kicks in and it's the overthinking. It was just a profound uh, point we would talk about with women as well. So many women do it. 
it's not something people recognize that other people do. So suddenly when we were talking about it in speeches, everybody kind of confessing, you do that, you do that too. You sit and worry five hours about an email and you're just, just like, oh my goodness. Yes. Um, and I think getting girls as early as they can to hear that voice in their head is even if all they do is recognize it, that's so powerful because then at least you're looking at it from above and you have a little bit more power to control it. Because one of the things that that overthinking does is that it stops you taking risks, right? We know that because a girl might be, or a woman might be, I mean, you know, in my own terms, I might be, you know, wanting to ask for a pay raise or ask you for a promotion and I'll have 15 different voices in my head saying, no, that's a risk you can't take. You know, that's going to be, you know, there's so many downsides to that risk. You know, for a girl, raising her hand in class can be a risk. Um, trying out for the school play can be a risk. And I think if we can help our girls understand that nine times out of 10, the downside of any risk you are contemplating is so much smaller than your overactive brain is making it out to be. Um, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you ask for a pay raise? You don't get it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen if you try out for the school play? You don't get the part. But something good may come out of it. But the world is not going to fall on your head. You know, the sky is not going to fall on your head. The earth isn't going to swallow you home whole because you try things. And right. I think trying to get girls to realize that, to, to realize that their overthinking is actually impacting their ability to stretch themselves and try new things and live a full life. Yes, yes. And I love how you kind of name risk as a confidence building block. Mm. And just and just having that in the story, it makes it so real. Like, like this wasn't intuitive, like, oh, I'm just going to go do this. It was a risk. And I was thinking about these stories Every one of them has, if it was personal or more political or whatever, had opposition to face their own giants. Yeah. That's so, that's exactly, oh, I like that's that. That's a great way of describing it. Uh, yes, I like <laughs> Risk is for us the fundamental element. It's just the key to confidence. It, it's always there in order to build more confidence, right? Our con The confidence formula is... You have to do. The only way you build confidence is by doing things. And in fact, you really need to do things that involve stretching yourself or taking a risk, doing, you know, experiencing some failure and then persevering. That's what builds confidence. And so the hardest part is that facing that risk. And the more you do it, right, the more you get used to risk and facing it down the easier it is. It's a habit you can build, but it's understanding how to face risk, how to how to break it into smaller pieces, what what that's gonna feel like, what you tell yourself, right? That is just, I think, essential for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I was struck with in the book is like the girls kind of all had their own version of their definition of confidence. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about how they talked about confidence in the book? For so many of them, it, confidence has had a lot to do in the particular case of their projects or issues or passions to do with what they could achieve. I mean, for Aaron Phillip, who's the transgender model in a wheelchair, 
she's just extraordinary. Her confidence really was about, in the end, identity, right? And being able to fully manifest as who she is. And she saw herself from the beginning as something entirely different than the way other people saw her, right? As a, as a, an originally, initially born a boy and then a girl and then somebody in a wheelchair, somebody who could never be a supermodel. Um, and so I think her ability to keep saying, this is who I am and I don't care if the world doesn't see people like me this way, this is who I am. And to kind of make that turn into reality was her confidence journey. There's another, I think actually it's interesting you you point that out, Claire, that because we talk about this in our, the confidence code in the book we wrote for women, that we see it as sort of three parts, the confidence code. One is act more, one is think less. And then the final step is be authentic. And it's very hard to be confident if you're not true to yourself. And for several of the girls, I'm thinking of Chiara Beth um, Griffin, who's in Ireland, who at the age of 13 was diagnosed with autism. And how that diagnosis actually came almost as a relief to her and to her family because Chiara Beth had grown up realizing that she saw the world differently from other people. She couldn't quite put a finger on what it was though. I mean, you know, somebody would say it's raining cats and dogs and she would look outside and expect to see cats and dogs falling from the sky, that she computed things differently. And then so when she was diagnosed with autism, it was almost like that liberated her to kind of confront her identity, embrace her identity. And then what was amazing about her, use that confidence to try to help other people with autism. So she develops an app that will help people look somebody in the eye because one of the hardest things for people who are autistic to do is actually make eye contact with other people. And she researched that. She had no idea how to code. She, you know, this was new to her. All of this was new. And as she says, there was nothing in this that came naturally to me. There was nothing in this that, you know, was easy for me. But she keeps going until she has a success. That notion of identity, I think, was so, and that realization of her identity was really important to Chiara Beth. I think for a lot of the girls, there's a common element in um, just education and valuing education. And I think for the girls, and this is something where I think girls will, who read this will all learn from each other. It's going to be less of an issue for girls who are lucky enough to take that as a given, right? But for some of the girl, Tandaway, um, well, Tandaway actually is fighting for education and social justice. And we had the same thing with Celia in Guatemala, who really had to take on the role as a caregiver for her family and just try to eke out her ability to get to school. And then Dexa and Nepal, who <laughs> so, You're right, yeah. so hated the idea that girls could not attend school for a third or up to half of a month because of their menstruation cycles. And I mean, her story is so incredible to me because she just took on her village elders, the parents that, I mean, I, I just couldn't even believe people with the right. cultural norms, listen to her. But there were so many people just fighting for the basic right to be educated, or Yakaba, basically, right? Who had to untangle her own child marriage commitment in order to just go to school. She wanted to go to school. She didn't want to be married at age 12. Right. right. So I think right. there's sort of they're different. And then there are the girls who I think are really about animal rights, the environment, 
right? And so for them, it's that confidence is the ability, I think, to pursue their passion and try to sway people. So you're right. There are a lot of different definitions of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is so awesome. So much, so much fun to talk to y'all. I am a therapist. I've been in practice for a kajillion years and I have seen everything that y'all are talking about, um, the overthinking, the perfectionism, and it is, it's like really, really rough for our girls. So I'm going to ask you, how does perfectionism impact confidence? I think it's, it's a key part. And we found this in our research with women that actually women are something like 25% more prone to perfectionism than men are, but it's a total confidence killer. I mean, at a basic level, it's a standard that you are never going to meet. So if you are setting yourself perfection as your standard, you're always going to fall short, which means you're always going to be disappointed in yourself, which means you're always going to be slightly bummed out about how you've, how you've achieved compared to this impossible standard you've set yourself. Um, and the research that we did uh, initially on confidence, uh, perfectionism just stops us taking simple risks because we're so afraid we might fail or not meet that standard. So it's impinging our ability to get outside of our comfort zone, do things that are hard because the psychological, you know, battering that you give yourself if you are a perfectionist, if you fall short of that perfectionist standard is immense. And I think one of the, you know, it's really one of the cause of what Claire and I are trying to do is stop that tendency amongst girls in particular um, to be perfectionist. And it's something boys are very lucky really not to have as much of. I mean, I do see it with my own kids that, you know, Felix and Jude will have done a test in school and I'll say to them, you know, how did it go? And they say, oh, no, it's great, mom. I, you know, I, I, think, I think that went really well. And, they, and literally they will get a C. And then the next time around I'll say, well, you know, how did that <laughs> test go? Oh, you know, again, it went really well. I mean, where's the learning process? Where's, there's just like no perfectionism. And it used to drive me kind of crazy. But actually now I sort of think, wow, how great to be liberated from that because – you, and actually, a couple of the girls um, talk about that, about how they had set themselves perfect standards, and then they realized that they weren't going to be perfect anyway. So we, Claire and I talk about, you know, good enough is okay. Yeah. Aim for good enough. I found that with Della recently, because I'm teaching her to drive, letting her drive some, and she is so... Perfectionism and people-pleasing, I think, often overlap a lot for girls too, right? You sort of want to please everybody and get everything right. You think you're pleasing everybody by getting everything right. Yeah. Right? It's too scary. You think that's the reason people like you. That's what they expect from you. And she was just driving and heard a car honk its horn as we pulled into the driveway. She said, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? I said, Della, I don't, that's, I don't think that was you. And if it was you, it was somebody having road rage for no reason. So you have to get used to that and ignore it. And she's like, I know, but I just, I'm worried. And when I'm out there, I want to get everything right. I want to do everything. I just get, I feel, and I said, please try to channel your brother who I remember when he, all the, his only thought in his head when he drove around was I'm so cool because I'm far, <laughs> right? And so, just yeah. and the more people that honk at me the more people are noticing me so that's also really cool <laughs> oh my gosh I love that channel your brother that's perfect <laughs> the parents of these 30 girls 
How do you think they helped their girls be confident? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, there are it, often the you know the stories are different because some of the girls don't have mothers around or don't have fathers around. But in many cases, the breakthrough for the girls may have come when they spoke to an adult about. I'm thinking particularly of somebody like Taylor Fuentes, who is a girl in California who was really badly bullied in middle school and for a long time kept it to herself, and she just got sadder and sadder, and her. And her eventually, and she was close to her family, but she's still, you know, there's this horrible code of silence around things like any form of abuse, really. You're not meant to talk about it. And um, it took her, it was a risk for her, she felt. It took her courage um, to speak eventually to her mother about it. And her mother then became her advocate and went to the school and complained and in several of the cases, the parents, um, there's Adele in Tennessee who starts up a, um, a pancake restaurant. She loves cooking and she loves pancakes. Uh, and things go kind of horribly wrong with her soft launch. But she definitely brings her parents, mother and father, into that equation. And they become, you know, part of the process. And she talks to them a lot about it. So I think whether in the case of Yakaba, it's actually an aunt who gets very involved with her in trying to get her out of this child marriage that her father has signed her up to and getting her aunt's involvement was critical. So whether it's a parent or an aunt or a support figure in some some form from the adult world, a lot of the girls have somebody who's an adult who they bring in as an advocate for them. And sometimes just the process of bringing those adults in can be the thing that produces confidence. You know, the for Taylor, speaking to her mother was that was that struggle, right? Was that risk she had to take of speaking up? I think well, it's, it, it's such a great question, Colleen, too, because it's really made me think um, about that in a way we we didn't. And I love that. No, I love that. I have, yeah. I mean, when I look at the girls, um, Haven, for example, who's this incredible para athlete and was from an early age lost her legs and was adopted. Uh, into a family that just it blew me away. I mean, they just, from the very beginning, treated her like nothing's going to stop you. You're just going to go around and make things work. And even if you're crawling around, you're going to make things work. And she is the most upbeat, positive, strong young woman you can imagine. And so I think sometimes it's the attitude. I think with some of the parents, recognizing a passion in the girls really helps. So when I look at Bella Tipping, who started this travel agency for kids, I think her yeah. this passion and said, go for it. And, and the same with Tandaway in Los Angeles. She, they, they, her parents recognized, but especially her mother early on, she's just, she wants to speak and she wants to speak about social issues. And they just gave, continued to just encourage that sort of platform. I, and and then I think what Caddy said, it's also being around for the obstacles and helping in many cases when they're overthinking and helping them realize they can get through failures. So it's, and in many cases, it's it, it has been the dads for, uh, you know, I, I noticed that for Riley Morrison, it was really her father who helped her navigate her frustration about the lack of girls basketball shoes. And really supported her and let her know, you know, you yeah, you got this. You can do it. Yeah, no, that's that's great. 
That is so great. So I'm thinking about my moms who are listening to you from every state in the United States and all over the world. I'm sure they're listening to this, like, how can I help raise a confident teen or daughter? What tips do you have for them? I think the first thing is to check your own behavior because you are your daughter's number one role model. She may not always tell you that, by the way, when she is going into <laughs> puberty, uh, but you are. And so if you come home or if you're at home and you are trying to be perfect, perfect you know, provider, perfect homemaker, perfect spouse, perfect mother, perfect at work, perfect with your friends, perfect in whatever you do, guess what's going to happen? Your daughter's going to look at you and think, oh, that's what I need to be. I need to be perfect because that's what my mom is and that is my role model. So check your own behavior. Are you avoiding risks? Are you not talking about your failures and struggles openly at home? Um, because if you don't, then you're not having the conversations your daughters need to hear. So if you come back from work and something didn't go well, talk about it. Talk about it with a bit of humor, how you got through it. That can be kind of, you know, but bring up those stories uh, and make sure you are not trying to be perfect because that's the worst thing you can be for your daughter. I, and I think looking, understanding that risk, that encouraging risk and encouraging them to do things that are uncomfortable instead of creating, instead of creating their comfort zone for them, which was always my inclination, look for ways to get them out of it. Right. And, and get, and, and that's hard as a parent, again, get comfortable with that as a parent, because you're going to watch some emotional ups and downs and you have to be ready to do that and know that will be good for them. And then I think what can be really powerful is if you've got the wherewithal to do it and it can be hard, but to, to stitch a narrative together for them when you've seen something happen. I, rem I remember with one failure, my daughter had failure, which turned out to be incredible, or she didn't make, she was a big soccer player and didn't make a soccer team a number of years ago. And it was devastating. And then she went on and went to other tryouts, made that team and, and ended up loving this new team. But when I could talk to her about it six or eight months later and say, Della, do you remember how horrible that felt? But then you picked yourself up, turned around, did this. And for her to be able to look back on her own story I think is that's a really powerful learning tool for parents. Mm, that's good. A little organized. <laughs> that's good. No, that's really good. Yes. And going back to the perfectionism in moms is what I talk to moms a lot about. If you feel that pressure to be perfect, you are passing that down. I mean, to your daughter, because you're expecting them to be perfect and you don't even know you're doing that. Right. And I love how you just began this whole talk about like risk and struggle and failure, like to, to allow struggle and failure to be celebrated sometimes. And I think at, at least normalized, I mean, let's be honest, no one likes failing. We're not pretending failing is great and makes you feel good. It doesn't, it sucks, right? I mean, I don't like failing, none yes. of us do, yes. but it is normal and it is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we have to deal with it. And, um, and I think just making it a bit more normal so it doesn't become this bogeyman that sits on our daughter's shoulders as they go through puberty. And not to put too much pressure on mothers, but I mean, do you remember, Caddy, when we were working on the adult book and they did all those studies with 
mother monkey mothers and the child. I mean, <laughs> and the big headline out of that was that mothers, and we know this just from our own human society, but mothers have an incredible influence, right? I mean, it's just... Yes. Yes. Fortunately, it's a lot of pressure. You can't overstate it. And even Della said to me recently when she was frustrated at something, I said, she said, mom, you have to understand both like, I want to listen to you because you're literally the most important person in the world to me. But then that means you make me the maddest. Like everything <laughs> you say has such an impact. It's like, oh God, I feel awful. So I, I think just understanding that like Caddy said, if we can sit down and say, okay, like, who has a failure they want to talk about or just they they can read our body language even right so we have to act like these things as we learn to believe it ourselves are fine and matter of fact and do you remember the person claire we were talking to recently and i i can't remember it was somebody who was interviewing us or who we were interviewing who said they had grown up and um every evening her dad would sit around the dinner table and say okay Everyone yeah. has to tell me what they failed at today. Founder of Spanx. And we were the woman who Spanx um, tells that story. That was her father. Sorry? Though it's the woman who founded Spanx. That's ah, right. She yes. tells that story. And I, I just thought, what a great, I know. It's, I, wanna, I want to start that at our dinner table. I don't know if it's too late. It might be too late. <laughs> Never too late. Think, Never too late. I think your teenagers might just leave the dinner table at that point. <laughs> Hard enough oh to my get goodness. anyway. Well, this, is, this has been so great. And I can tell you when I was reading your book, like I got something out of it. I'm like, like these kids can be so courageous and take these risks like, what are you doing? It was inspiring to me. And these girls from all these other countries that had so many, 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 many obstacles to get through. And they were just incredibly courageous. So I think this is a book for all women and girls. And it's wonderful. It's delightful. And one of the ideas when I was uh, reading it, it would be a super fun book for mothers and daughters to read together. Mm. Mm. probably not my 15 year old who was well, not 15 I think the the <laughs> maybe not that <laughs> I have heard from mothers and I'm envious of this who have this that they've started reading their nine ten and absolutely she's loving it I'm reading it to her and I'm, oh good <laughs> I miss that stage <laughs> oh my gosh I know that <laughs> do you have any more wonderful advice for the moms listening as we wind up this wonderful podcast? Um, I think this bit of advice that was something we've turned into something we tell ourselves actually, and try to tell our daughters is whenever you're contemplating a risk, know that you are probably going to have to do it afraid, right? That just, it, so it's this idea of just starting, you're going to have to get going some amount of fear is normal. And if you wait to eliminate that fear, you will never act. So if you keep that in mind and use it as a sort of rallying cry for yourself, it can often help you take the first step. Wonderful. Caddy, how about you? Do you have any last advice for us? I think the do it afraid one is really good. And the check your own perfectionism. Stop overthinking that 
voice in your head that whirs around every little bit of criticism or every time you think you've done something wrong, just be conscious of it. Psychologists call it ruminating and women are really good at it. So let's try and stop the ruminating and act more. Perfect. That's a great place to end. Well, thank you so much for being here with my moms and with me. And I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. Colleen, thank you. Colleen, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. You're so welcome. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere. You can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.